Well, I'm Michael. For anyone who doesn't know me, it's lovely to be here. I wasn't able to be here last week, and uh, Gillian, my wife Gillian and I, we watched online, and thank you to all of those who make watching online possible. It really is great to be able to do that. So can we show our appreciation to all of those who make that happen week after week? We really do appreciate that. Pastor Steve spoke last week. Intermediate Steve. And Intermediate Steve's from Levin. And who else is from Levin? Oh, look, I've been telling you, and you haven't been believing me online. You haven't been believing me in the room that, you know, from Levin, we're all over the country and all over the world. But I'm having to change my, my mantra because I was actually in Levin. Jill and I were in, in Levin speaking at Life Changes Church, a great church there with Pastor Ross and Alison. And uh, Levin's going to be a city. I couldn't believe it. It's going to be one of our next cities. So, hey, give it up for Levin. That's great, isn't it? Things are happening. So, uh, don't sound very enthusiastic, but it's all right. (laughs) Pastor Steve, if you didn't listen to his message last week, you must listen to it. He was talking about riding from the east side of Levin to the west side of Levin where the intermediate school is. Guess who else used to do that? In fact, I found out that Pastor Steve and I live just around the road from one another. But being a much younger man than me, um, well, it's probably at least 10 years kept. But nevertheless, he was just around the road, and I was there first. And I've, it just made me think, what lessons did I learn when I was biking to Intermediate? And I kind of racked my brains. We used to go to Intermediate on a Friday for woodwork. You don't have woodwork anymore, do you? Is it called hard materials or something? Is that what you have? Hard materials. First lesson I learned was Mr. Boyce was our teacher, and he said, Michael... You suffer from verbal diarrhea. (laughs) Are teachers allowed to say things like that today? You wouldn't be allowed to say that, would you? So it shows you, you know, back in the day, this we should get away with, which I think I took from that, that he felt that I talked too much in class. And the second thing I learned from biking an intermediate, so I think you'll need to go and listen to Pastor Steve's message, there might be a bit more content in his, was that on Friday, we used to, coming back on a wet Friday, you could go to the, one of the fish and chip shops in Oxford Street and you could get two potato fritters for five cents. <laughs> and you'd have salt on those and a little bit of vinegar. And that was like heaven on earth. That's all I remember from intermediate school. But <laughs> if you want any more, then have listened to Pastor Steve's message. That would be great. It was Voltaire in the 18th century who first said, You know, the thing about common sense is, it's just not so common. And we live in an age, don't we, where we're bombarded with information. There's no shortage of information. But wisdom, I would suggest, is a scarcer commodity. And we're looking at a series at the moment called Back to the Future. What are the things that the early church took hold of that we need to grasp for the time in which we live? And I'd like to suggest to you that one of those things is we desperately need wisdom. It was interesting just meeting a few new people who have come to church today. I won't embarrass them by kind of looking at them or naming them. But, you know, there are people in church today because we're living in uncertain times. And people are looking for the wisdom of God. What does the wisdom of God look like today? Speaking of which, wisdom tells me I should probably put my timer on so that uh, I finish on time. A couple of scriptures just to get us started. The first one is in 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 10 to 14. The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for wisdom. So this was how God, how 
how God felt about that request. God replied, because you've asked for wisdom and governing people with justice and have not asked for long life or wealth or death of your enemies, I will give you what you've asked for. I will give you a wise and understanding heart so that no one else has had or will ever have. Verse 13, and I will give you what you did not ask for, riches and fame. No other king in all the world will compare, be compared to you the rest of your life. And if you follow me and obey my decrees and my commands as your father David did, I will give you long life. Solomon understood something of the importance of wisdom. So what does it look like for you and I in the world in which we live, in the context that we're living, whether you're online this morning or whether you're in the room? What does it look like for us to experience the wisdom of God in our lives? James chapter 1, verses 2 to 5 says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Never really particularly liked that verse, but never mind, we'll read on, it might get better. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, and when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Verse 5. If you need wisdom... Ask your generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. God wants us to ask him for wisdom. So this morning we're going to look a little bit about what that looks like. I looked up a definition of of, um, wisdom in Webster's Dictionary and it said knowledge and the capacity to make use of it. You see, wisdom is knowing what to do with knowledge. Another foundational scripture as we're thinking about wisdom in the scriptures is Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7, and it says this, But the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. And so the Bible puts a high priority on understanding the wisdom of God in our lives. And Proverbs talks about wisdom not only being found in terms of from God and God living in community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but that we find wisdom in living with community with one another. And so we can look to one another to give insight and wisdom as to how we should live our lives. Well, I remember when I was at intermediate school, I never liked homework. Um, So some homework for you uh, for the coming week, if you want to just think about and do some reading about wisdom. The book of Proverbs speaks about the kind of wisdom for the world in which we're living with, living in now, and how to live well in that world. The book of Ecclesiastes Ecclesiastes wrestles with why do bad things happen to good people, and why do good things happen to bad people? And it talks about life being meaningless, but actually, as we'll see, a better translation of that word is life is fleeting. It's a vapor. It's here today. It's gone tomorrow. When we were in Levin a few weeks ago, and um, I was speaking at Life Changes Church, I saw Horofanua College. I went to Horofanua College back in the day. And I thought to myself, I wonder how long ago that was. And I did the sums and I worked out, it was 50 years ago. That's half a century. But you know, it it just seemed like a moment in time. And uh, I wonder if I were to ask you, what's the most embarrassing moment you remember at high school? Do you want to know what my most embarrassing moment was? I'm not going to tell you. Just joking, just playing with you. Yes, I will. That would be mean. My most embarrassing moment at high school 
was I was singing in a musical. We used to do musicals in those days. Um, I don't know whether like high school musical, but I was singing in salad days. And the worst thing I had to do was to kiss Shirley Dickey on stage. <laughs> it was my most embarrassing moment of high school. Probably more embarrassing for Shirley than it was for me. I never asked her, but there we go. But it just seems like a moment in time. You know, life is a vapour. It's fleeting. It's here today, it's gone tomorrow. They say that you, you spend the first early part of your life just wanting to get older, you know, and then you go through a stage where you just want to get younger, and then you go through another stage where it looks like you're behaving as though you're younger again. So haven't quite got to that last stage yet, which is probably good, although Gillian might disagree some days, I'm not sure. You can ask her afterwards. So we're going to look to the book of Ecclesiastes for some wisdom. So Solomon, Ecclesiastes is generally considered to have been written by Solomon, and Solomon is considered to be one of the wisest people in the Bible. And in this phrase in Ecclesiastes, there's this Hebrew word which is called hevel, and often it's translated as meaningless. But I think if you look and see where it's translated, it's used, I think, in Ecclesiastes uh, 35 times or 38 times. It's used in the rest of the New Testament 35 times. In other places where it's translated, it's, it's not meaningless, but it's fleeting. Life is like a vapor. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. And I think as we look at the wisdom from Ecclesiastes, this passage we're going to look at this morning, that's probably a better translation. It isn't that life is meaningless, but it's life is so short. It's here today and gone tomorrow. Some of us had the privilege of being at North Campus on Friday, and it was Thelma Rives. Um, farewell service. It was her funeral. Um, And she taught um, Brett Wilson, didn't she? She taught Brett Wilson music. How good must she have been? She did a good job, I reckon. And she taught your brother Ross. And she taught your sister Jan. So um, amazing. And she taught music for years. Must have been over. She was 90 when she died, wasn't she? So she taught music for over 50 years, longer than that. But you know, when we reflected on her life, It was like here today and gone tomorrow. On Tuesday, we're going to celebrate another life. Robin Toner's husband, Ewan. Funeral's here on Tuesday at 1 o'clock. And uh, I'm just learning some things I never knew about um, Ewan. He was into hand gliding. He jumped out of aeroplanes. He discovered new caves in the Waitomo Cave Cluster. And all of these amazing things... But as you look over a life, it's here today and it's gone tomorrow. It's fleeting. It's like a vapour. So how do we take hold of, of that? The big idea that I want to leave you with this morning is that in light of eternity, life here on earth is a puff of air, a breath, a vapour. So what the Holy Spirit is highlighting to you today is important. So live life well. That last breath that you took. Do you remember it? Do you think it was important? Do you think it's any more important than the breath you're going to take after this one? You see, just because you don't remember that last breath, it was fleeting, it was a vapour, if you didn't take that breath, we'd all be in deep yoghurt, right? We'd be calling 111 or whatever, or we'd be getting the defib machine. I've always wanted to have another crack with one of those. And, you know, we'd be doing our best to resuscitate you. Pam would be right there. She'd be calling me instructions. You see, that last breath was just fleeting. It was just a vapour. It's gone. But if you didn't take it, it would, didn't, if you missed it, it would really matter. And that's the kind of concept 
that Solomon is wanting to share with us. So we're looking at Solomon chapter, Solomon chapter, Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verses 1 to 14. I want to share with you five facets of wisdom to leave with you this morning. And I encourage you, I'm only choosing five of these. You'll probably see other facets, so take hold of those. And the picture I had in mind is, it's like a diamond. And you know, a diamond has different facets. And you kind of look at that and you think, wow, that's a beautiful cut on that diamond. But someone else looks at it and says, oh no, that's Andy says, oh no, I'm going for that bit. I could put that in my saw and use it to cut things. Say, no, no. And someone else will look at it differently. So think of the different facets of wisdom. And the first facet that I want us to think about is that every part of your journey is important. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 1 to 4. A good reputation is more valuable than costly perfume, and the day that you die is better than the day that you were born. Better to spend your time at funerals than at parties. After all, everyone dies, so living should take, so the living should take this to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter. A sadness has a refining influence on us. A wise person thinks a lot about death, while a fool only thinks about having a good time. I often think, if I was told, Michael, you've got six months to live, I often think, how would that change my priorities? Might be more fishing, Dave, do you reckon? More motorbike trips? What would that look like for you? If we knew that life was fleeting a vapour, how would it change the way in which you and I live our lives? For those of you online, how would it change the way that you would live your life? I've just had a significant birthday, I'm told, recently. I missed it. I missed my own birthday. So I decided there's only one thing to do with that. I'm going to have a whole month of birthday. So... I said to Gillian, maybe I should buy a few online presents, you know, just to kind of span it out a bit. And then I thought, maybe I've already bought some online presents that I haven't received yet. So I thought I'll just have to wait and see. But I thought every birthday is significant. So how do we grasp hold of that? A good reputation is more valuable than costly perfume. The day that you die is better than the day you were born. Better to spend your time at funerals than at parties. After all, everyone dies so the living should take this to heart. You see, what Solomon's on about is that a person's reputation is everything. You can't change your reputation after you've died. It's how you live life here and now. Solomon's wanting to remind us that we're ambassadors for the kingdom. When people see something of our lives, they see something of the values of the kingdom in our life. So how we live is important in terms of of living life in all of its fullness, but in also of bringing something more of God's kingdom from heaven to earth. Why is it better? Why is the day you die better than the day you were born? And really Solomon's just talking about the testimony of a life well lived. You know, I want people... I went to a funeral recently. It was quite funny. Is it... it, I don't know. Is it all right to have funny funerals? But uh, a friend of ours, Bill Gort, died, and he was a real character. I've probably told you about him before. He used to be a merchant uh, Navy person, got stuck on the bottom of the ocean and when they had dive bells. Reckoned he'd been fired out of torpedo tubes, flew over Mount Cook in a Cessna and got told off because apparently you're not supposed to fly over Mount Cook in Cessnas. It's a no-fly zone. And um, was towing the youth group behind his yacht um, in Christchurch. Uh, and the Coast Guard came up and said, Mr. Gort, what are you doing? And he said, I'm just trying to drown the youth behind the yacht, officer. 
Very good, Mr. Gort, carry on. Used to be able to do that 50 years ago. You probably wouldn't be able to do that today, not suggesting that you do it, by the way. But he decided that he would give the eulogy at his funeral. So when it came time, you know, when someone comes up and talks about the life, their life, on flicks the video screen, and there's Bill. Hello, everyone. Glad that you could come. I understand that we're going to have a nice supper after this, but there were just a few words I wanted to leave you with. And I thought, you know, it would be nice if we were remembered, wouldn't it, when our time comes as people that lived life well. Sorrow is better than laughter, for a sadness has a refining influence on us. You know, there are times, there are seasons in our lives, there are times of sorrow, and it's really important that we own those times of sorrow, that we don't brush over them. This is something that my wife Gillian and I have had to learn when we lost our first grandson, Damien, when he was 18 months old. It was a time of real sorrow, of real loss in our lives. And you need to engage with that moment and take hold of God in that moment and allow others to share that moment with you. You know, we heal best in the body of Christ when we stay connected to the body of Christ. You know, you don't have someone who's got a a broken arm and you say, right, I'm going to heal this broken arm. So you lop it off with a machete, you put it in a Petri dish and kind of put a few probes on it, get it healed, and then kind of stick it on back afterwards with, I don't know, how would you do that? How would you even do that? But sometimes we treat each other like that in the body of Christ. We're hurting And sometimes when hurting, we say painful things to one another. But what does it look like for us to say connected to God and connected to one another? And so Solomon's talking about that, being transparent and honest, open with God, open with one another, to share our hurt, our loss, our grieving, the times when life doesn't make sense. A wise person thinks a lot about wealth, while a fool thinks only about having a good time. And really Solomon's talking about they're not just living for the moment. Because if you live for the moment, you'll miss out on life and all of its fullness. Live a life without regrets. Learn from your mistakes. Remain teachable. Keep taking steps of faith. Don't always play it safe. When Ewan was in his 70s, I think he decided to take up skydiving. But they had to stop him after a while because during the free fall, apparently, his body wasn't flexible enough and it was a bit like a board going through the air that got the wobbles. And they had to kind of say to him very gently, excuse me, Mr. Toner, but I think maybe skydiving, you know, free fall and skydiving probably isn't what you should be doing. But he gave it a crack and he did it. What does it look like for you and me to take those steps of faith, to live life well, to get out of our comfort zone? I don't want to coast just to the finishing line. I'm up for some adventures with Jesus. How about you? Are you up for some adventures with Jesus? Wouldn't it be terrible to kind of have finished your life and you're up there in heaven looking down and you think, man, I lived a boring life. Wouldn't that be a tragedy? You only get one life. And there are difficult seasons in the midst of life. And it's not all times of rejoicing. Sometimes it's heartache and pain and struggle. But be real and live your life. Solomon is encouraging us. And so this first thought about wisdom is every part of the journey is important. The times of celebration are important, absolutely. But the times of heartache and pain and loss and tragedy, they're important too. And Gillian and I have found that it's often been in the times of pain and heartache and tragedy that God has worked more in our lives for the sake of the kingdom. And many of you, I'm sure, have got that same story. 
The second thought for this morning about wisdom for life is to remain humble. Verse 5, better to be criticized by a wise person than to be praised by a fool. A fool's anger is quickly gone, like thorns crackling in a fire. This also is meaningless. Now, I want to retranslate that. It's that word haval again, and I want to say fleeting. This is also fleeting. Exhortation turns wise people into fools, and bribes corrupt the heart. And the picture here is something that Solomon's readers would have understood. If you were putting together a fire, maybe for, um, for baking bread or whatever, often what they would do is take dry thorn bushes and poke them into the fire to get the fire up to temperature quickly. But if you didn't put more substantial fuel on the fire, that initial burst of energy would be lost. Much in the same way as we take kindling, don't we? I love fires, by the way. I love lighting fires. Yeah, the ones that you're supposed to, you know, like in a fireplace and stuff. You know, you don't need to kind of call a 911, whatever it is, 111 or whatever we call in this country. But, um, yeah, I do love lighting fires. But you need kindling, don't you? Or pine cones. They're amazing. We had a good thing going with one of Gillian's colleagues. We got her kids to pick us up pine cones, but then they went and slacked on us, didn't they? Now we have to pick up pine cones ourselves. Not nearly as much fun. But you know, kindling and pine cones are great to get the fire going, but then you've got to put on something more substantial if you want to maintain that heat. And Solomon says that flattery can be like that. Anyone can use a few flattering words, but it's easy. And there's nothing wrong with, with words in terms of if they're justified, you know, words of encouragement, words of affirmation. Man, I love, we all love words of affirmation. But let them make sure that there's some substance to those words of affirmation. Not just tickling our ears to get our attention and there's no substance behind it. It quickly fades. We can all learn something from criticism. Even when we think there's no basis to it, if we can just remain humble. Our first reaction is to want to defend ourselves. This is so unfair. But if we can trust that God's more concerned about our reputation than we are, then God can use that to form something more of the character and nature of Jesus in us. You know, the conversation might go like this. Michael, you're an amazing person for the way that you healed that person. And they were delivered and set free. I hope that Michael would respond, hey, thanks for that, but I'm not that good. That was Jesus who healed and restored that person. I just had the privilege of being part of that. You know, nothing wrong with words of affirmation, but let's deflect who the real credit is due to, who the real credit is due to, and let's remain humble. So the second thought that Solomon's really talking us about wisdom for life is to remain humble. I've just finished reading one of the devotional writers. I think I was saying to Sean about this, Andrew Murray. I tried to read him, but he was just so boring, to be honest. It's all this old worldly English, so I listened to him. For about seven and a half hours of listening to Andrew Murray, I felt quite sanctified every time I came to church. And, you know, after seven and a half hours, I thought, what is this guy saying? One of the great writers in the Christian church. And really, it boiled it down to remain humble. If you remain humble, then God can work his character and nature into your life. And so Solomon's reminding us of that. The third aspect of this wisdom for life is you don't have any say about how you started in life but you can determine how you finish. Finishing, verse 8, finishing is better than starting, patience is better than pride, control your temper, 
for an anger, for anger labels you a fool. And I think here Solomon's talking about two key principles of wisdom, and they are patience and anger. Patience and anger are two keys to applying God's wisdom to our lives. Patience is sometimes called delayed gratification. Don't you love that word? You've probably heard, some of you might have heard in 1960s, there was a professor, um, Walter um, Miskell, I think that's how you pronounce his name, and he conducted these experiments on four to five-year-olds. I don't know whether I'm supposed to tell you this, but we've got a psychologist in the family, and she did this experiment on her five-year-old. It was hilarious. But anyway, so it went something like this. So the person came into the room, they sat them in the room, and the, the person doing the experience said, I've got a treat for you now. If you don't eat this treat, when I come next time, you can have another treat. So you've got it. You can have one treat now, or you can wait and you can have two treats. That was the deal. And they did this with hundreds of four- to five-year-olds. And then they followed their lives for 40 years. Over those 40 years, they found that that cohort, those people involved in that experiment, who showed delayed gratification, those who were able to hold off having the chocolate bar, whatever it was, until the person came in again and they got two. And then they might have scoffed a lot. I don't know what happened. But those people who were able to have patience, delayed gratification, did better in every parameter that they measured them in over the next 40 years. Education, you know, jobs, um, how they engage with other people in terms of relationships is amazing. Now, the most important part of this experiment is this. Those children who had delayed gratification learned how to do that at home from their parents and caregivers. And the second thing they found out is it's never too late to start. For example, if you do, if you, um, do your homework, not looking at this part of the room for any reason in particular, might apply to some of you, but I'm feeling drawn this way. If you do your homework before you do online gaming, you will get better results. This section of the room, just in case you thought you were escaping attention, if you chew each mouthful of food 20 times before you swallow it, you will lose weight. It's true. Delayed gratification. Do I have something else? Ah, yes I do. Don't feel that you've missed out. If you read your Bible more regularly on an ongoing basis, you'll have a closer relationship with Jesus. Delayed gratification, patience, can make a huge difference in our lives. And the second thing that Solomon talked about was temper or anger. You know, being angry, angry, we just have to own the emotion. It's a feeling. It's real, isn't it? You know, I can't kind of say I'm not angry when I am angry because I am angry. Sometimes I can say, Gillian, you make me angry, but actually I choose to respond and make myself angry. And when I say to Gillian, you make me angry, that just makes her angry. So that doesn't work either. So it's a lose-lose. <laughs> But if we think about anger and we think about our current circumstances, anger is often when we're faced with a situation and our current reality doesn't meet that situation. So our expectations are here and our current reality is here. So if we're angry, we have two possibilities. The first one is that we actually change our expectations. It might be that I'm angry with someone and I realise, actually, this is more about the other person than it is about me. 
So that insight means I can change my expectation. I'm no longer angry because my expectations aren't up here, they're down here. Or it may be in some situations that I actually need to raise my expectations. And I might find myself getting angry with someone and the insiders. actually, I don't think that we can have this conversation together. If we're going to talk about this, I really need to have someone with me to help me to process it with you. So in that situation, my expectations with a good boundary have been raised. So my expectations and my current reality are level and I'm no longer angry. Now we haven't got an opportunity to go into more than that, but those are two keys for biblical wisdom. Delay gratification, patience. But God, you've called me to be a preacher. Pastor Sheridan, move over. I'm a coming through. Well, maybe a great place would be to see Helen afterwards and start with the children's ministry. I love teaching kids. And if you can teach children and communicate to them, you can communicate to anyone. Because we're just basically big kids, aren't we? Well, I am. I won't put that on you. But maybe you guys are more mature than me. I'm not sure. But we need to learn those lessons of patience and anger. And so, wisdom for life. You don't say about how you started in life, but you can determine how you finished. And a lot of that will be around delayed gratification, patience, and how you process anger. The fourth, wisdom for life. Two more and we're done. Sorry to work you so hard this morning. You can't live in the past and take hold of the present. Pastor Sheridan's been talking to us about this. You know, the We've had prophetic words for us as a church, isn't it? You can't go back to what it was like before COVID. You can't just wind the clock back and do church as you used to do it because God is moving on in his plans and purposes. God is redeeming his creation. And God's plans and purposes continue to advance. And what was right in one season won't be right in the next season. Solomon puts it like this, verse 10. Don't long for the good old days. This is not wise. Wisdom is even better when you have money. Both are a benefit as you go through life. Wisdom and money can get you almost anything, but only wisdom can save your life. You know, sometimes we romanticize the good old days. I was talking to Sean about this, I think, and uh, the days when I was an orchardist. You know, sometimes when I was a young pastor and it had just been a bad day, Monday morning, 8 o'clock, someone sent me an email to say they're leaving the church. And um, I'm thinking, oh, just let me chase bunny rabbits again on the orchard tractor mowing the grass, you know. Oh, that would be so good to do that right now. And, but I forget about those days. I remember in the pack house, I'm dressed, and then I've got my overalls on, and then I've got my swan dry jacket on, and then I've got my wet weather gear, and I can, I'm like a scarecrow. I can hardly move, you know. It's like this. And, and the temperature inside the pack house is minus two degrees, I thought, oh, yeah, that's right. There were some days that weren't so flash. But you don't remember those. You romanticize the past. The example I've got in my notes is remember the children of Israel and remember how they grumbled in Exodus chapter 16 and verse 3 to Moses and said, oh, we remember when we were in Egypt and we had these cauldrons full of meat and vegetables and they never did. But in their current reality, the past looked so much more attractive. And they forgot that God was providing for them. Their clothes didn't wear out. God was providing for them even in the midst of this season. But they lost sight of that. And we can lose sight of that as well. Wisdom is better than money because money can enable you to maintain the status quo. But wisdom says that God's not in the status quo. God's redeeming his creation. He's moving forward to the day when Jesus returns again for his bride. 
the church. So don't live in the past. Take hold of the present. And every season is a good season to take hold of God. And the last thought I want to leave you with this morning, if we can have the team back, that would be great. Wisdom for life is often found in the detours. Verse 13. Accept the way God does things. For you can straighten, for who can straighten what God has made crooked? Enjoy prosperity while you can. Even when hard times strike, realize they both come from God. Remember that nothing is certain in this life. I recently came across a new app I downloaded on my phone. It's called Roadie. And it was developed by a PE teacher in Wellington. And he decided that, you know, why is it that all the best places to visit, like Dave visits on his motorbike, are all off the beaten track? And so he's putting this app together with all of these gems around Aotearoa, New Zealand, of things that you can see off the beaten track. I'm sure Dave will have it downloaded before the gathering's finished. And um, he'll be off on his motorbike exploring some of these great gems. And I thought, life is like that. You know, the best things in life are often on the detours. And sometimes things just don't happen as we think. In fact, sometimes the, the God deliberately has the path crooked, and here's Michael trying to straighten it. Well, I hope that's going to work well for you, Michael. You know, <laughs> God, you want me to go this way? And I'm, no, this, I'm going this way. I remember thinking about that. I knew a call of God in my life to be involved in pastoral ministry, to be a pastor. And here I am running this family business for six years. It's not how I would have chosen to do it. An orchardist looking after staff, going in for the Rights and Young Orchardists of the Year competition. It's not how I would have chosen to do it. But God knew what I needed to learn and how I needed to learn it that will equip me for 32 years of ministry so far that followed. And God will do that for you. What detour has God got you on at the moment? Maybe you feel that you're like David on the back paddock. Maybe you feel that your trajectory isn't what you planned. It isn't what I signed up for. But how can you take hold of God in the midst of that season?